Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Hardware Podcast. My name is Jackson Danner, alongside my good friend Omar Borja. Today we're going to be previewing week one of the college football season. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably have listened to our week zero preview as well. Uh, we're recording this pre-week zero, so I can't speak to any of the results of the week zero games, but I trust that it was a, a thrilling day of college football action. But Omar, how are you doing, man, since we uh, last did this introduction about an hour ago? <laughs> I'm good. I mean, I just had to tilt the camera to showcase another part of the room, to show- showcase my own personal college football art collection that I, you know, made myself. But I'm doing good in the past uh, five minutes since I hit the stop recording or hit the uh, stop recording button. So, um, yeah, I'm, just, you know, I'm doing I'm doing well. Yeah. Man, um, week one is going to be fun in a, a multitude of ways for me. I just want to mention, um, I just want to mention a few of the different ways of week one is going to be fun for me. So one, we have Florida on the road on a weeknight, which is something I never thought I'd say in my entire life. Billy Napier and the Gators are going to be go- going on the road to Cam Rising and uh, the Utah Utes. Right. So uh, I can't say it's the most intimidating atmosphere that we'll face all year, but it is going to be a different one. Um, and uh, as the Utes are in their last year of their uh, contract with the Pac-12 or who, uh, however all that works. Um, second way, I mean, gosh, we have some phenomenal neutral side games, as always, to start off week one. I will point out college game day is going to be uh, at uh, North Carolina versus South Carolina for the you called it the Duke's Mayo kickoff classic. Um, so Omar, I, I trust that uh, we'll you know, both be eating our, our fair share of mayonnaise that day um, as we're uh, participating in college game day. Um, and then uh, third, uh, last but not least, I am getting married this Sunday of week one, if you uh, didn't already know listening to this. So uh, we have the, the honeymoon in uh, Paris shortly thereafter. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I will say it's probably the the least amount of attention I'm going to give a week one uh, uh week one kickoff um uh, in a college football season considering I'm getting married the next day of the the main day of the the weekend at least but you know I'm still gonna pay a pretty good I plan on watching a uh, double digit of hours of college football the the day before so uh, if that's the least amount of attention I can give it then uh, I'll take it so. Um, but I, I can't wait, man. It's going to be a lot of fun, not just for the wedding, man. I'm excited for, for South Carolina and North Carolina. I'm excited for a couple of these group of five or power five games I'm going to be talking about. Uh, can't wait for Florida at Utah um, that night. That's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, But yeah, man, I, I can't wait. We'll dive into a couple of these. Um, Omar, I'll let you start off with, uh, at least one thing you're looking forward to in week one, whether it's a game, whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. So let's start off with arguably the biggest game of the weekend, which it's kind of weird that I think the only reason this game wasn't decided game day is because it's on a Sunday and whatever odd logistics, you know, it's just weird to work out, but the camping world kickoff between Florida state and LSU, uh, last year, they played that epic at the Superdome, which involved a um, an offensive lineman fainting. After was that point. not the most drunken college football game we've ever witnessed? I mean, that was a that was a I don't want to say it was terrible football because it was phenomenally entertaining, but it was oh my gosh, man, that was terrible football that we saw last year. I think it'll be a little bit better this year. Uh, bold prediction yeah. there, but 
definitely. But I mean, I yeah, I, I didn't really catch it. I was in the middle of the California desert, you know, just I'll just leave it at that. But um, but you know, with that, um, I, I think the storyline for there, I I mean, you have the two quarterbacks. You have you have Jalen Daniels and you have I'm sorry, you have Jaden Daniels. There I know Jalen Daniels for Kansas gets gets me it gets me so confused all the time. Jaden Daniels for LSU. And then you have Jordan Travis. Everyone seems we in week zero, we talked about our top three. Jordan Travis didn't crack my top three, uh, but he's just outside. Um, do you see this? Do you see this as a Heisman elimination game for um either guy if if they lose? Um, I think Heisman elimination is an, an understatement. I think neither of them have any expectation of winning the Heisman. Um, and so Heisman elimination, yeah, like, no kidding. It's like you better win this, you better win this game. Uh, if you uh, if you have hopes to win the Heisman, so yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's interesting because I don't know if anyone expected Caleb Williams last year to win the Heisman. It, it's like hardly something we've noticed. Something we've seen is like it's hardly any of the preseason favorites that win the Heisman. And and I think like Jaden Daniels has a chance to bounce back on a lesser scale. I I don't think Jordan Travis has that wiggle room because he plays in the ACC. And looking at Florida State's schedule, yes, they'll have Clemson, which will be a which will be a bounce back game, uh, for sure. But definitely, like the the leash will be kind of uh, okay. I shouldn't say leash, but the uh, campaign will definitely be weakened considerably if uh, Jordan Travis and Florida State have two losses, uh, because sadly, what the Heisman's become is the best player in the best team, which you know we can talk about that all day long on another time, but. That that's just my my opinion. I, I mean, Jaden Daniels has much more opportunities to shine, and the perception for sure. I'm not a big SEC fan, but a lot of writers believe in the prominence and prowess of the SEC. So I think it's let more so an elimination game for Jordan Travis than it is for uh, Jaden Daniels. But I'm excited for a good old quarterback shootout out there in, in the uh, you know the warm weather of Orlando. But uh, going on to like the second, I think big story for us and probably probably like the last one uh yeah i think the last one of the weekend even though you know it's week one um excuse me if grayson mccall finds a way to beat ucla grace mccall grace mccall and coastal carolina find a way to beat ucla is he vaulted into the heisman race um i don't know it's uh it's august right so we can only do so much talking on the heisman but um but I don't know. You tell me, man. You have a stronger opinion on on this than me, I presume. So, so I say honestly, I say yes. He's vaulting the Heisman race because Grayson McCall has earned the respect of riders across the country. I mean, he's had just an amazing career. This is his fourth year, and somehow he still has another year of eligibility. You know, thanks to the COVID year. Crazy how this is working out. But um, he's built up so much credit with the riders because I feel like. I feel like, I mean, if we had a merch line, you know, one of their shirts would be who writes for these awards, dot, 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 writers do, or who votes for these awards, writers do. I always say that. So, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's, um, whether you like it or not, you kind of have to build a certain reputation and degree with the writers, football, college football writers of America um, who vote for these awards. And like Grace McCall has built an amazing resume. But as we've seen in the past, for a group of five player, like resume isn't enough for you. And I and I think back to 2015 with Keenan Reynolds of Navy, who ended up breaking the uh, college football touchdown record. He had an amazing year. I think he had over 20 rushing touchdowns. And Navy was in the New Year's Six race until uh, Thanksgiving weekend when they lost to Houston, who eventually won the Peach Bowl. 
but he ended up being fifth in the Heisman. So, you know, maybe you can attribute that to him playing an option offense. Maybe you can attribute it to, you know, Navy faltering against Houston, you know, with a near six bit on the line. I don't know, but I kind of see a similar situation where Grace McCall has had a great career, impressive stats, but he'll really have to have honestly like Colt Brennan type numbers, um, you know, huge throwback Colt Brennan type numbers to, um, you know, really crack it. But the USC beating UCLA will definitely help his cause. And you look at UCLA, they lose so much talent this uh, from this past year. There's no Jake Bobo. Um, the defense returns a good amount of starters, but freshman quarterback, huge step down from DTR who had been there, who had, you know, been there as long as Chip Kelly had been there. Really? I mean, was it 28, yeah, 2018? Yeah. So DTR had been there for as long as Chip Kelly had been there. Zach Charbonnet is gone. They replaced with Carson Steele, which is like, honestly, it does not like good luck in the transfer portal does not get better than what UCLA did. Cause to go from Zach Charbonnet, Charbonnet to Carson Steele, that's like, you don't lose a step. But anyway, uh, I, I do think no it'll one be sees a, a smooth game. of a transition from that in the transfer portal. Yeah. You either exactly. see like an upgrade or like you're going to the transfer portal as a, like out of deprivation out of desperation, like going from like, you know, Anthony Richardson to Graham Mertz. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, Dang. So. Okay. Okay. Wow. Is there, you want to talk about it, Jackson? I mean, I, you sound hurt. I still believe in Graham Mertz. It's a sore subject. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, like, but I, I do think there'll be fireworks in this game because last year too, I mean, I think honestly, like now that I think about it, I do think Coastal Klein will come out with this, with this win. Cause you remember South Alabama last year, um against UCLA in the Rose Bowl the fake field goal heard around the world you know now that I think about it you know their Coastal Carolina returns their bread and butter they return their top three receivers they return their run game that everyone you know loves so honestly like I, I feel like Grace McCall could be vaulted into the Heisman race again uh, against UCLA um yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like I said on our on our week zero preview, the ship has sailed for me of like actual legitimate hope of a of a group of five uh candidate winning the actual Heisman. But all I want, listen, all I want at this point is like a legitimate conversation. All I want is just to be like table to talk and not not pretend, just to be able to talk a briefly, uh, a cliff note of uh of a group of five uh player that is you know while discussing the heisman right i don't expect them to show up in new york city i don't expect them to win in the whole thing i just want to be able to talk about it for a little bit so if grayson mccall can do that he's going to do that by beating ucla and beating ucla convincingly so that's really our only hope of it um other than that uh, obviously we'll talk about group of five candidates who may be uh deserving of heisman talk um even if the national uh sports media disagrees but you know we can do that um but grayson mccall if he's gonna gonna earn some national like respect in regards to college football awards it's going to be uh it's mutually uh exclusive of losing to ucla right so you do have to be ucla to participate in that so um do you want me to go ahead and go with my week 
one game of the week to watch or I'll just I'll just add this um off the off the coattails of what of what you just said. Yeah I think for this week I I, I think um there really aren't any uh, favorable games for either you know we talked about week zero with Michael Pratt and um sorry <laughs> Michael Pratt and Frank Harris it's been a long day recording this off the after after long day work um believe it or not but I mean there it's not really favorable games like I mean Frank Harris and UTSA have Houston but seeing Houston in the power five and UCF and BYU, that's going to take some adjusting, honestly. So I definitely feel like a lot of writers still have that mindset where it's like they're playing a team from the American. Uh, that's not to say that, you know, Houston isn't a formidable program. I just, even, even for me, it's like hard for me to get used to. And I'm a group of five supporter. I love the group of five, but, um, and, and even then Michael Pratt has South Alabama, which that one is a sneaky good game. I, I do think that one will be close, but it won't be on the radar of like many people nationally. It's, and it's just such a shame. You have one team that went 10 and three and almost beat UCLA. You have another team that actually beat USC in the cotton bowl and won their first major bowl game ever and appeared in the first major bowl game since the great depression. Uh, and no one's paying attention. That just shows everything that's wrong with the college football media. But um, that being said, yeah, that game doesn't move the needle for riders. But I, I just think it, it's kind of an interesting note how, like, you know, we kind of add people in. Someone who does have an interesting game um, in terms of Heisman talk, I, and I don't think it's really as much Heisman talk as much as it is a kind of CFP talk. We have Boise State at Washington on uh, 3.30 on ABC, uh, which I'll talk about later. But Taylor Green, George Holani, Ashton Genty, you have three guys from Boise State who I can see kind of crashing the Heisman party. Omar, do I have uh, permission to go off a, a complete tangent on something that has nothing to do with what we're yes, talking sir. about? But it, go ahead. Let's I do it. Go ahead. It's not even it's, it's yes, sir. Not even college football related. It is football related, though. Um, Go ahead. Just Google uh, Mac Holland's Falcons and then Google Mac Holland's Raiders. I don't, how much weight has he put on in this offseason in a good way? Like his arm, bro. He looks so strong. Have you noticed this? No, at all. No, yeah. Sorry, Jack. I have. Not- I have <laughs> obviously on mute the the Cincinnati Atlanta preseason game right now on on NFL Plus. Um, and Matt Collins got a pass. I was like, wow, that's or he was he was targeted at least. I was like, wow, he looks strong. Like maybe I'm missing something. No, he like he's built. After the season, a lot of people were writing off Matt Collins, but he's put on some uh, some weight in the arms, which is a very good thing. So, sorry, complete tangent. Absolutely it's nothing fine. to do it's with totally college football, but um, but yeah, it says uh, that, that that's hardware for you. So, um, I can go ahead. I'll, I'll go with my week one game of the week to watch. It's as smooth of a transition as we're gonna get in this podcast. Um, I'm gonna go with uh. Um, with Fresno State at Purdue, uh, which is an interesting group of five at Power Five game, right? So, um, for Fresno State, my first thought when I saw this game on the lineup on the score app was, oh, no Jake Hayner on the road to a Power Five school, not a very good formula to win. I do want to point out, remember, Fresno State has had four 10-win seasons in the last six years. That's as close as you're going to taste to sustain success as a, as a Bulldogs fan, right? Uh, or as a Fresno State Bulldogs fan, I should specify. So um, on offense, obviously, you're, you're losing senior bowl MVP Jake Hayner, but you're gaining UCF transfer Mike Keene. Uh, 
Uh, Mikey was uh, at UCF, at least he was three and oh last year when he threw more than 15 times. Uh, and then as far as a career goes, 23 touchdowns, seven interceptions, six of those seven interceptions came during his freshman year. So he has gained a little bit of experience, although he is just a sophomore, uh, not a redshirt sophomore going into his uh, first year at Fresno State. So um, one more thing I want to point out as far as Fresno State's roster, 10 of the 14 receivers on the depth chart are either freshmen or they're transfers. You're going to be relying on a lot of new talent as a Fresno State fan. Um, I foresee Jalen Gill. He's a transfer from Boston College, a former four-star uh, athlete. I really foresee him like kind of leading the pack in that room, in the wide receiver room at least. Um, but, uh, but Fresno state is a, a team that's going to, if they have success this season, it's going to be off of transfers, even though it's, uh, it's not going to be anything new. Um, for, for Purdue, Omar, this, <laughs> this might be a little bit gross, but I, I can't think of a better analogy. Have you ever had like a really good, like sandwich, like a Chick-fil-A sandwich or something like that? And like, it's solid. It's really good all the way through, like bun's perfect it's got like the pickles all that then like the last bite is just like like cartilage or like you've got like seasoning like way too strong on it like it's just pepper like something like that like really bad like i i don't know if you know what i'm talking about that was produced season last year man you had division champion caliber season all year long, you started off your season on a bad note. You went 0-2 in conference play to start off the year. But then you like you did a total 180. You only had one conference loss after that. You went to the conference championship. You know what? You played in Lucas Oil. You lost. But you know what? Michigan, who you lost to, was going to the college football playoff. And no one was really expecting anything in Purdue. So it's not that bad. And then you play in the in the cheese at Citrus Bowl, which you have so elegantly displayed um, a, a cheese at box. I'm very jealous of. Um, and you lose 63 to seven. And not only do you lose 63 to seven, you brought back Drew Brees to be a, a guest assistant coach for that game. And you have um, who is is um, legitimately very grateful. He's okay. You had Dion, wide receiver Dion Burks. Um, with a, a very, very scary, traumatizing head injury um, during the game. So it was just, it, that game went sour in every which way it could have. And after a, a foul, distasteful end to their, like, very successful season by Purdue standards, um, I'm curious what the, the mood and the vibe of the program is after dealing with that disappointment. We can get into the X's and O's, but sometimes that doesn't really do us any good when it's as simple as you had a successful season. You had, I mean, you had a, a homecoming of a guest coach in Drew Brees and you lost by over 50 points and you had a, a very, um, a very scary injury to one of your teammates during that game. Um, in Orlando, there was really nothing to celebrate off of that. So, um, I'm curious how they recovered in the off season from the ending to last season. Um, Fresno State is a team that has high expectations. I think even though they're relying a lot on transfers and new talent, um, you've done very well in the Mountain West. This is a a, a time where conference uncertainty is um is large right? Uh, there's no guarantees in place. If you're looking to move up to what is eventually going to be to the power three or power four, if you include the ACC, you, you, 
this would be a good resume builder. And I know it's not always about wins and losses as far as conference realignments, about markets and money, but it certainly doesn't hurt to have a win over a power five team uh, from the Midwest on your resume if you're uh, if you're Fresno State from California, right? So um, uh, that's really all I've got on that game. I know it's more storyline-based than X's and O's, but um, I'm interested to see how uh, how Purdue reacts off of their uh, very, very terrible ending to last season in many ways, um, and then how Fresno State can uh, recover more than react um, to the loss of Jake Hayner and uh, a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, that game is interesting, too, because Purdue also is in transition with their quarterback room. Of course, Aiden O'Connell, who honestly I thought was a honestly a steal for the Raiders. Um, great college career, I mean, and has been was impressive in week one of the preseason. So it'll be interesting to see like how both teams like what direction both teams take in terms of the quarterback position. So, so Jimmy Garoppolo now that he's not a 49er is just useless. And you're, no, I still love Jimmy Garoppolo. If you were a Raiders fan, you're grateful Aiden O'Connell is there to rescue you from terrible Jimmy Garoppolo. Is that one? No, he's not terrible, but I will say this. I will defend Jimmy Garoppolo to my dying breath, but that doesn't change the fact that he was injury prone as a Niner. When he played on the field, great leader. Wow. Probably, probably, probably the third greatest. Well, actually, no, probably the fifth greatest Niners quarterback of all time. Probably the fifth greatest. Let's see. I'll, I'm ranking above Jeff Garcia because you got Montana Young, John Brody, Y.A. Tittle. I put Jimmy Garoppolo there over Jeff Garcia. Yeah, I put Jimmy Garoppolo over Jeff Garcia. Is, is that, wait, so Steve, Steve Spurrier is not on that list? Okay, moving on. Um, he was he was picked in the expansion draft for a reason, Jackson. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, with that going back to that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a game. I'm gonna stay in the Mountain West and talk about uh, Boise State Washington. And this game honestly might have playoff implications because you look at Boise State. Al Holbrook lost after I know I mentioned this game a lot, but it's just it, it really is probably one of the more mind blowing upsets of the 2022 season when UTEP beat Boise State at home in the Sun Bowl on a Friday night. And UTEP and Boise State's offense just looked dead. To be honest with you, it looked dead. Um, they didn't score a touchdown until the late stages of the game. Um, actually, it wasn't the late stages of the game, but they didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter, I think. And Hank Bachmeyer did not look like 2019 Hank Bachmeyer ended up transferring to Louisiana Tech. But Taylor Green came in, turned things around. They have a strong run game. Boise State is always producing great running backs. Ian Johnson from 2006 from that Fiesta Bowl team. Doug Martin. Uh, and now uh, Jay Ajayi. You know, the list goes on and on and on with the Boise State running backs. Oh, who is it? Um, Jeremy McNichols, too. So on and on and on. Boise State, has, they have two They have two more great running backs this year. You got George Holani, Ashton Jenny. Holani had over 1,100 yards last year. Genty had 800 yards. If they beat Washington, you know, and in classic Pac-12 fashion, the Pac-12 cannibalizes itself and Washington goes 10-2 and two or 11-1. and one. And Boise State runs the table. I honestly think we could have a Cincinnati-type situation. Some dominoes need to fall for sure, but I honestly think we're, we're looking at a top-10 team if they win this game. So I just wanted to mention that. That's kind of like a half preview. Preview Jackson just wanted to, um, to, to say that. But um, going on to my first game, um, of course, ULM versus Army. And, I mean, I'm not doing this to be a homer, but arguably – one of the more intriguing, probably one of the more fascinating stories and one of the more anticipated stories of the offseason was Army's new offense. After 
15 seasons of running the triple option. Um, the NCAA, you know, amended its rules to make running the triple option, quite frankly, disadvantageous with the elimination of cut blocks, pretty much restricting where you can do cut blocks on the field. So with that, Army decided that their days were numbered running the option. They're running a gun option now, and it'll be interesting to see how they adapt their scheme. Excuse me, with the pieces they have, because you you run out of the gun, it kind of... I, I kind of wonder whether guys like Jacoby Buchanan at 260 pounds at fullback will thrive in that, in that type of scheme. Another guy too, uh, Tyson Riley, uh, former fellow I-beam shout out a uh, company I four, but, um, but also too, I think he's 6'2", 240, 250. I wonder if they have the quickness uh, in the shotgun. You know, they have the power, no doubt about it. They have the power, but also the quickness, um, you know, to, to you know, effectively run in the gun option offense. And, of course, I'm excited to see smaller backs like Tyler Robinson being used as well for the Black Knights. Um, guys that really didn't get as many, you know, carries because the Army option was fullback and quarterback um, oriented in terms of who got the carries the uh your slot backs are home run hitters typically you know they're they're low volume but high explosiveness players uh so i'm excited about that one that one's on nfl network at i think seven o'clock uh, eastern time i believe on september 2nd uh but don't sleep on ulm this game's at malone stadium in monroe ULM is on bit on a steady upward trajectory. And I think there's, I think there is really two coaches that you can't go wrong when you're, when you're building a program up from nothing. One is Jerry kill who took New Mexico state to the quick lane bowl last year in his first year. There were no expectations last year for New Mexico state. They still somehow made the quick lane bowl. And I think the second guy is, um, is Terry Bowden because you look at what he did at Akron, what he did at Akron deserves, he deserves a statue in front of Infocision stadium. Um, because he not only took Akron to their second MAC title game ever and their second bowl ever, second and third bowl ever, had their first bowl win, but he also beat their first uh, Big Ten school since before the turn of the century, before the turn of the 20th century I'm talking about, uh, during, the, I think, the William McKinley presidency um, when he beat Northwestern. And that was a Northwestern team that wasn't even bad at all. They went to the Big Ten title game that year, and Akron beat them. He's doing the same thing right now with ULM. And if it's not this year, I think ULM makes a bowl um, next year because in 2021, in Bowden's first year, ULM ended up they, ULM beat um, Liberty. They upset Liberty and Malik Willis in one of the big, probably the biggest upset of the year in 2021. Last year, they upset Louisiana. You know, Louisiana, who had been uh, in the national spotlight in 2020 and 2021 uh, on the doorstep of the New Year's Six, they beat Louisiana for just the third time since 2008. So. This one will be a close one, but I mean, I'm sure all college football fans are kind of awaiting to see like how Army adapts. I find it really, really, and this has to do with the, my uh, next point on the podcast or my next game to watch on the podcast. I find it really ironic you're talking about like head coaches uh, that you can't go wrong with when building a program in college football. And then uh, isolated from that point moments later, you're talking about how successful Louisiana was with the new head coach in 2020 and 2021. Um, I wonder where that guy is now, man. Um, that's, that's interesting. So he's starting Graham Mertz. That's what he's doing. <laughs> oh man. Uh, if you haven't figured it out already, we're talking obviously about Billy Napier, the, uh, the university university of Florida head coach. I'm going to go with my next game of the week to watch ironically Florida at Utah. Um, uh, I'll put it to you this way. The main pro for Utah this season is that they have so many uh, starters returning. 
And the main pro for Florida this year is that uh, there aren't that many starters returning. <laughs> as, a, as a Florida fan, um, I'm biased, but this is the first time in, in years that I've been excited about the idea of like unknown quantities filling in for players that have left, right? Um, three out of the four best players, in my opinion, at least, that were at Florida last year uh, were recruited by or transferred with Billy Napier. And the idea that more of those guys are going to get started, are going to get starting roles, like really excites me. Um, Florida has also like maybe one of the best running back rooms in the nation. I, I don't want to be bodacious, but think about it. Montreal Johnson, the Louisiana transfer, very much the power back, very much a strong guy, ground and pound. And then Trevor Etienne, the little brother of the Jaguars running back has, he has all the tools in the toolbox that Montreal is lacking. Right. And then on top of that, you have Trayon Webb, the third string, um, who I'll put it to you this way. He had an offer from Miami in uh, in seventh grade, if that tells you about his talent. Right. So you have a very strong running back room. As far as the defense goes for Florida, Corey Raymond has expanded his responsibilities to be over the entire defensive back room, which I couldn't be more excited about. If you don't know the name Corey Raymond, look up the history of it. Um, uh, in short, he's the, the father of DBU because LSU is DBU, but Corey Raymond was the man behind that, right? Um, Florida is a new defensive coordinator in Austin Armstrong. He led top seven defenses nationally in interceptions, tackles for losses, and fourth down defense. The past couple of years, that's that's not an easy thing to do at Southern Miss. Um, so the fact he did that with the talent he was working with is very impressive. And now he's coming over to Florida. Um, Graham Mertz is announced as the starter. I'm not a Graham Mertz hater by any means. I'm just acknowledging that he's not Anthony Richardson. Um, he's not gonna he's not gonna win games with his arm. Uh, but if you can dictate the terms of the game where the clock is in your favor and you're asking Graham Mertz to do most of his production out of play action, and you're not playing for more than two possessions behind, he's a quarterback that can get you what you need, right? Um, so I don't think that if we're down by three, that Graham Mertz is going to be, you know, going, uh, going to have a, you know, 140 QBR. Um, but I think he certainly is a guy that um, that can do what you need to do when he has the athleticism to to execute it. It's just, uh, hey, his receivers at Florida are going to be a lot better than they were at Wisconsin. So um, as far as Utah, uh, Kyle Whittingham has built a, a long tradition culture of toughness. Um, and this is a team that he's already said that he believes is the most talented he's ever had at Utah. Remember, remember that that means something coming from Kyle Whittingham. He's the second longest tenured head coach by the same school. Um, so uh, it, it mean, I believe it's 19 years, something like that, that he's been at Utah. So um, uh, Coach uh, Coach Whittingham has a, a phenomenal culture that he's done. He has a lot of NFL uh, production over the years. And um, I'll, I'll openly say that it's a concern as a Florida fan, right? Um, but we'll see. I, I I couldn't be more excited for the game. Um, it's going to be really the – it's the Thursday night ESPN week one game. That truly is the kickoff to your your week one of college football. Um, so uh, no better way to do it than Florida at Utah.
Yeah, sorry, just had the space button in the chat. I also realized my mic wasn't plugged in this whole time. I hope it, I hope it, I hope it didn't sound crummy. But um, yeah, I mean, on that note, honestly, these Thursday night games have just been great. The, like last year, too, I know the first Thursday night game was the backyard brawl, the first backyard brawl since the fall of the Big East. And now we get Florida-Utah. I'm interested to see, um, from a nerdy perspective, how Florida deals with the, with the altitude in Utah. Because I don't think we, I don't think Utah's seen an opponent, a major opponent, that has had that much of a discrepancy in altitude as as Florida has. Uh, so that will definitely be interesting to see. I I can't remember there being a, an, a non conference opponent that Utah has faced because it's it's always an FCS, uh, probably a re- a regional group of five, and BYU for non conference right for for like you know the past few years. So I just can't remember a time where they've had a team like where the altitude was like legitimately a factor. I don't even think they play teams from Texas, like FBS teams from Texas, now that I remember. So that one will be interesting. Another story too, uh, they're not sure if Cam Rising is going to be ready come game one. I know he had that scary ACL tear in the Rose Bowl. So, I mean, here's all hope to him being back in week one, truly one of the more underrated quarterbacks in uh, in the group of five. So I'm going to combine um, a couple games into one pick. Uh, big weekend for HBCU football. You have uh, on NFL Network, I think at 3 o'clock Eastern time, you have the Brick City Classic between Grambling and Hampton. And a little history, little history story for everyone. Grambling has about as rich a history in New York City as Notre Dame does. So back in 1968, uh, Grambling and Morgan State played in the first black college football game at Yankee Stadium, or one of the first probably was the first or one of the first at Yankee stadium in a game against Morgan state where a ton of NFL legends play. We're talking Raymond Chester, James Shaq Harris, the first black quarterback to not only go to a pro bowl, but win a playoff game or start a playoff game. Um, Tons of talent on both sides of that game. That game ended in a nine, seven classic game. I think uh, Morgan state won that one. And then a couple years later to kick off the 1971 season, who's kicking off the game on ABC on national television, Grambling and Morgan State at Yankee Stadium. So they're not playing Morgan State this time, but Grambling's playing Hampton in the New York City Metro, Harrison, New Jersey, where the New York Red Bulls play a Red Bull Arena. That game's on NFL Network. That game's just a great game if you're a football historian and if you just appreciate college football, uh, despite all the impurities that the game is going through right now. Uh, they have two, uh, both teams have a 100 tackle, 100 plus tackler each. You have Quashing Townsville for Hampton. Uh, returning for the Pirates, you have Lewis Matthews from Family State. So should be a good defensive game for sure. Uh, neither team has really a strong offense, but it is Hugh Jackson's second year. So, you know, expect a, a nice kind of slow slow pace from a slow pro-style pace from Hugh Jackson and Grambling. Uh, going on to, to the same day, around the same time, you have Notre Dame at Tennessee State. And this is arguably the biggest game in the history of the Ohio Valley Conference. And I say that just with the amount of exposure the conference is getting through Tennessee State. This is just such a great game, a great game for uh, Eddie, for Eddie George, Coach Eddie George in Tennessee State. Tennessee State had a strong defense last year in the Ohio Valley Conference, allowing 24 points per game just about. They returned Terrell, Terrell Allen, who had 12 tackles for loss and Kayvon Pope at linebacker. So their front seven strong. They're going to need it to defend against Audric Estime, uh, Notre Dame's big, powerful back. But um, Allen had 12 TFLs. Pope had 62 tackles last year. And looking at the OBC preview, the Big South OBC preview, my friend uh, Michael Mike Mike Terrell wrote, he was um, all all OBC second team defense and OBC newcomer team, despite appearing in nine games. So the there's a lot of excitement about Kayvon Pope, of course, Ohio State transfer. And then... Finally, converting the last HBCU game I want to talk about, of course, uh, on Sunday, 
We have the Orange Blossom Classic, Jackson State versus Florida a But I'm not talking about that HBC game. I'm talking about the Black College Football Hall of Fame Classic in Canton, Ohio, between Virginia Union and Morehouse. And I want to introduce you to the best running back you probably have never heard of. We're talking about Jada Byers for Virginia Union. This man last year averaged 1,920 yards, or not average, that would be insane. He had 1,920 yards on the ground, almost a 2,000-yard rusher for Virginia Union. He had, I think, 19 touchdowns, or he had 19 touchdowns as well, but just 1,900 yards, and he had some insane performance. Let me see if I can pull up his game log. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Jada Byers last year, I remember he uh, he kind of caught our attention last year. We talked about it on the podcast after he had, oh yeah, 319 yards against Valdosta State and three touchdowns. And he had, he had nine, yeah, 19 rushing touchdowns, uh, returned a couple kicks too. Uh, but yeah, if you don't know Jada Byers, I mean, America is about to just, you know, get a whole dose of Jada Byers because Morehouse really was not great last year. They went one and nine. They they have a defense that allows 172 yards per game on the ground. So honestly, I, I think if Jada Byers doesn't run for 300 yards in this game, I think it'll be a shock, you know, but that's uh, my little HBCU blurb. A lot of great HBCU football this weekend. Yeah, man. Um, you bring a lot of a lot of good points. You're always better than uh than me in my opinion, just acknowledging the the historical significance of a lot of these games. So no, that's a, a very good point that I uh I failed to realize when mincing that the schedule. So nice uh, you can use nice my newspaper the hardware research team, aka Omar. So yeah, you can use my newspaper's account and just get up to speed, you know, just uh just like type, you know, you know, it's typing grambling and stuff and you know, you'll, you'll get up to speed, Jackson. It might take a couple hours while you're at your desk just to pretend you're working and just, you know, go on newspapers. <laughs> wow. Wow. That was, uh, that was cold. It wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a dig. I'm just saying, pretend you're working and just, you know, just go on newspapers.com and just learn about college football. That's what I do. Hey, you know what? I don't doubt it. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and go with, uh, with the, my last game of the week to watch. I'm going to go with Miami at Miami. Uh, if you're confused, Miami of Ohio at Miami of Florida. Um, something I think we're going to mention a lot this year on Bulls and Booze. The last time that a Miami of Ohio made three straight bowl games was 1973 to 1975. Uh, they have a chance to do that again this year uh, as they've made bowl games in 2021 and 2022. Um, but that's uh, obviously not a guarantee, but what a way to start off with a win versus uh, Miami of Florida, right? Now, uh, one issue with that, Miami of Ohio is 0-17 most recently against their Power 5 opponents. The issue for that for Miami of Florida is that they're 4-3 in their last seven uh, versus group of five opponents. So I'm not predicting an upset. I'm just saying it deserves some attention. I know Miami of Ohio doesn't have any success but Miami of Florida has uh, a lot less success than you would help of a of a hope for a pro- for a program that um I don't know it does a lot of talking is is saying that you should join their program because of Lionel Messi so um that's all I'm saying again not predicting an upset I'm just saying it's something that you should tune into at least until we uh until we know for sure that uh, the Hurricanes pull away. And even if you are for sure, remember that Duke game where they blew like a huge lead? It's possible. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah, so I mean, I knew the uh, the Miami Digs were coming, Jackson, you know, when I saw when I saw that on your list. So, I mean, I just, I just let you go, you know, because 
that that's your thing, man. Just digs at Miami, not even Florida State. You know, Florida Miami hardly play, but you know the you know it seems like they play every year with you know how much you how much you criticize the Hurricanes. I think it's hilarious, like you know, because um, I knew it was coming with the Battle of the Miamis. But uh, I guess on to a different note. <clears throat> Excuse me with Maya with my next one. I I have Wyoming versus Texas A and M on CBS on Week One. I believe that game's either at three thirty or seven thirty Eastern. Um, I got I got to check up really quick. Um, but that game is on CBS. That game is just really like that's just such a huge stage for Wyoming, a stage that I don't think they've seen in honestly a long time. And if you know Wyoming at all, at all, I mean, my family and I we traveled to the Arizona Bowl. Um, saw a great national anthem rendition from a uh, from Big Cat. You know, a very loud national anthem rendition with a uh, loud jets and fireworks. But that's neither here nor there. But Wyoming is a team that they're 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 like North Dakota State of FBS. Like they play, they use a fullback. They have a a downhill running scheme. Craig Bull coached at North Dakota State, so it should not be a surprise. Uh, this team returns 10 returning starters on a defense that allowed 24 points per game. But I want to point something out with like with Wyoming, like Wyoming really tends to play these. They tend to play, uh, you know, ranked teams, power five teams. They tend to play them really tough. Like uh, go back to 2018 against Washington State. Everyone remembers Washington State having such a great year um, and almost making not just the Rose Bowl, but the playoff. But that year, it like. That game was a 20 to 19 game heading into the fourth quarter. Like uh, Washington state only led Wyoming by one point heading into the fourth quarter. And at one point in the third quarter, they were down 19 to 13. So something about that altitude and something about the physical play of physical play of Wyoming kind of wears teams down. So, and I think they would have the perfect game plan to beat Texas tech where you want to keep a team like Texas tech that throws the ball around the field. You want to keep them off the field. Wyoming's the type of team to do that, to turn off, seven eight nine minutes off the clock you know and keep them off keep uh the red raiders off the field uh and they have a good quarterback they have an experienced quarterback too andrew peasley coming back um not exactly josh allen but even josh allen wasn't putting up amazing stats at wyoming so definitely a game to watch i'm gonna say it's an upset alert i'm not gonna predict anything but i wouldn't be surprised if wyoming makes it a one score game uh or even upsets texas tech That's just cold, man. I mean, come on, really, Jack? Like, I'm sorry, I forgot you went to Texas Tech. Like, I like literally, like as I was finished talking, I'm like, oh crap, he went to Texas Tech. But I, I don't, I don't say that out of out of jest. Like, I legitimately like Wyoming is a team that's built to upset teams. They're kind of like the 49ers, you know? It, how the 40, it, okay, you know, like well, Wyoming is a team that has been absolutely like decimated by the transfer portal. All of their good players have have exited, in my opinion. That's just what I'm returning starters on defense, Jackson. They, I mean, yeah, that, that's true on offense, but in a scheme like that, like you can replace uh, talent uh, on man. offense, you know? Yeah. I don't know. And returning starters see, on defense. No, I am, I am, um, uh, I see a lot of internal stuff from Texas tech, right? So I am drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, but there's a lot of building. There's a lot of excitement around this Texas tech program. This and is yes, a team. I, this is a team. This is a team that fired their head coach. And a lot of people made jokes. Like what else is Texas tech expecting? There's, I don't want to say championship expectations, but there is, there's New Year's six expectations in this program now. And I know it's not based off of history, 
but it's based off of the leadership that we have in place with Joey McGuire and we have the NIL, we have the Matador Club and everything that's going into it, that they're really building a lot of momentum, a lot of renovations to the stadium, all of the excitement you hope to see from any collegiate football program. And uh, and it's a, it's a lot of excitement building out in West Texas, man. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, look out for tech. So am I biased? Absolutely. Yes, you but, are. You, you get more defensive, so you get more defensive than me whenever you you make digs at Army, you know. But I I gotta say that I ne- I don't think I've ever went on a rant like like that when he made a dig at Army. But I'll I'll drink the Kool Aid. All I'm saying is this, Jackson. All I'm saying is this is you have a team. So Jackson, how many teams beat the not? How many teams won their next game last year after the 49ers played them? That's a good question. None. None of them did because their brand of play was so physical. I'm not just saying that as a Niners fan. There is still something to be said in this day and age with physical play. And especially you compound the altitude out there at Laramie, 7,000 feet. You know, I mean, I, I'm just saying, I, I don't like, I'm not like, I'm not meaning to embarrass Texas Tech, but I, I legitimately think it'd be, it can be a close game. Like they beat Missouri, Kelly and Kelly Bryant's first start in 2019. Like this is a team that, you know, is built for upsets. Um, I'm just saying that also too. Someone needs to, I mean, it's all great that Texas Tech's doing this great stuff, you know, with the championship attitude. More teams should should strive to do more than just compete and be in the and be in the Power Five. Um, but someone someone's got to hand them a a roadmap because they're coining the Texas Tech Arizona game as a battle of I ten and I ten doesn't run through Lubbock like it's just a proven fact. You know, it's like now that I'm out here in West Texas myself, like. Someone needs to hand them a roadmap because, you know, I-10 doesn't run from Lubbock to Tucson, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> you know what? That's eh, okay. All right. You know what? Fair enough. So. Okay. I, mean, I mean, I'll pass over Jackson. So, you know, you, you know, I, you know, I, my point is merit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. But, uh, but yeah, I guess, I guess I had one more, I had one more game too. Just one more CBS game. I mean, well, Honestly, the doubleheader is just spicy, really. You got Oregon State, San Jose State. Or I guess we'll start with the first game, North Northwestern versus Rutgers. These are teams that don't really get, you know, national TV spotlight. Rutgers has been on a steady trajectory uh, going to bowls. And, like, or, sorry, they went to the Gator Bowl uh, as a replacement, which was probably the most prestigious bowl uh, that they've ever played in. You know, the next closest prestigious bowl they would have played in is, I think, the Birmingham Bowl but uh, or the Pinstripe Bowl, either one you choose. But, you know, that one should be a competitive game. Rutgers runs well. They're probably one of the more unique players in the country. Johnny Langan used to play quarterback. He's a tight end. They use him in Wildcat. Uh, had 139 rushing yards. Had, I think, over 200 receiving yards last year. Northwestern, uh, we'll see how much losing, you know, how much that scandal's affected the program. I think that's also another storyline, sadly, that uh, people are looking forward to. And then, of course, you know, the game of the day, better than Florida State, LSU, San Jose State, Oregon State, I mean, what is there to say? We talked about Chevin Cordero last week. Oregon State is looking at their best season since the mid-1960s, since the LBJ administration. Uh, this one is a prime, you know, it, it's a made-for-TV game. I'm excited for it, you know. You've said you're going to have it on the TV during your wedding. I, I hope you make true on that. Um, <laughs> but Oregon State, for sure, like, the job, the job that – um. The job that their coach, whose name is escaping me right now, I'm sorry, like, my brain is fried after a full day of work. Um, but the job that that Oregon State has turned around in the past couple years, uh, let me let me find his name. It's gonna bother me if I don't if I don't remember his name. Jeez. Um, the job that 
Jonathan Smith. Yeah, the job that Jonathan Smith has done at Oregon State has just been so great. This is a team that plays honestly. They're just they're they're a contrasting style in the Pac-12. Um, they run the ball hard when teams like Oregon, Washington, USC like to air it out, and you know that's that's all there's to say about that. Should be a good game. Should be close. I really hope uh, San Jose State has struggled with attendance in the past, but I really hope that they show out and make that place rocking. Yeah, you can only you can only hope, right? So, um, yeah, um, man, we've got a a lot of games ahead of us. Just uh, talking about a lot of these, I feel, uh, man, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all I got, Jackson. Do you yeah, have anything? That's else? all I have. I don't have anything else to share. Just beyond there's uh there's two different sides to me as a football fan or as a college football fan, especially there's like the X's and O's. Like I love doing a deep dive into the film. I love doing the, um, you know, all of that and really analyzing and looking at a lot of these guys and like, Oh, what's their NFL future? How does this head coach affect this? How's the recruiting effect for their future outlook? And then there's the side of me that's like, man, I just can't wait. Like, I just can't wait for like some good food like a good drink and just have like five screens in front of me and watch college football a day and like right now i'm like leaning towards the latter like the closer we get the more i i can't wait for that you know in june you gotta have the other stuff going for you where like hey you can watch them all 22 and all that but this part of the year and i just want to get there already you know so yeah yeah that's all I'm with you but yeah, i have nothing I'm else to add. yeah me neither but um until next time everyone we'll see you um Honestly, after week two or week three, we'll see just with uh, with all with all the wedding stuff. Uh, but until next time, everyone, peace, love and soul.